This podcast contains adult language and content. Listener discretion is advised. If you have a story to share, send it to let's not meet stories at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of The Lost Stories, the series where we share even more of those classic previously lost recordings from the infant days of the show. Thanks to the help of our loyal fans, we've had the pleasure of recovering these old haunted antiques. This time around, we have a collection of stories from back in 2018 that will surely give you the creeps. Enjoy. I have anemia. I'm really bad at taking care of it as I eat no pork and try to limit my red meat intake. I often feel faint or dizzy. I also have anxiety which sometimes causes me to pass out. So this all started the weekend before Halloween, the 28th of October to be exact. My boyfriend was visiting from a town about an hour and a half away and was spending the weekend at my dorm which is conveniently in the same city as he grew up. I am an 18-year-old female college student who works in retail. I was working the opening shift on the said day, so my boyfriend went home to visit his family while I was at work. We planned to meet at a subway station just a few hours after I finished my shift, but due to a subway closure, he was running late. So, not a problem, I thought. Then I realized I went to the wrong subway station. No big deal. I'll just hop back on the subway and go back down one station. I arrive at Determined Station, a little anxious as I think I'm going to be late, and there's no cell service. I couldn't figure out how to leave the station and kept ending up back at the subway train area where I began. Cue panic attack. Luckily, it was a manageable one where I didn't pass out. I just couldn't breathe. I finally figure out how to get to the shopping area connected to the subway station and suddenly feel very faint. This causes my panic attack to intensify as I feel if I'm going to pass out in an unknown area. I sit down on the floor and try to calm down, preparing myself for passing out. I spend about three minutes focusing on my breath and calling my boyfriend, finding out he's 20 minutes away. I decided to people watch across the hall at the pharmacy. I'm feeling a lot more calm, but still like I'm going to pass out. I realize I don't have my iron supplements on me, and decide it's better to just stay sitting. Suddenly a security guard comes out of the security office smirking. I think nothing of it until he walks right up to me. He tells me to stand up. I tell him it's not a good idea right now because I may pass out. Then he gives me two options. Walk over and sit on the benches about 100 meters away or pass out in his office. I calmly explain there's no sign saying I can't sit where I'm sitting and that 
I didn't do anything wrong where I need to end up in his office. He shrugs and says we could just hang out. I tell him I don't want to hang out. I stand up and lean against the wall, which satisfies him. But he walks away rather grumpily. My boyfriend shows up and all is fine. Fast forward to today. I work in retail and nothing too hard about my job other than handling the rushes where multiple people need help at once, but it's not that big of a problem. My manager was on a conference call in the back, leaving me to handle the storefront by myself. Usually this would have been okay. I was talking to customers and folding some t-shirts when I heard an oddly familiar yet creepy voice say, Guess you aren't feeling like passing out today. I hope it's one of my friends who knows about me being anemic and I laugh awkwardly and say, can't be passing out on my shift. Then I look and it's the same security guard. In the moment, I didn't think much of when he offered to hang out. Then thinking later, my boyfriend kind of hinted at how bad that would have been. Now I don't know if it was a coincidence he found me where I was working or if he stalked me. However, I do work in a mall not too far from the subway stop that I first saw him, so I'm leaning towards the optimistic side of coincidence. He doesn't look at anything in the store, but watches my every movement. He then tells me he needs to inspect our back inventory. I told him I can't let him back there, and my manager was too busy to talk to him. Note, he's a subway station security guard, not this mall's security guard, but I didn't want to instigate things while on the floor by myself. He then tells me just to go with him and claims it will be fun. At this point, I decide enough is enough. I tell him I can't let him in the back room, and if he keeps asking, I'll call security on him. For the next two hours, he sat by the elevator outside my store and just watched me work. Finally, he left. I thought he was gone, but after my shift, I'm sitting in the food court eating some McDonald's fries, and who shows up at a table just two rows away from me? He does. He then asks me if the seat across from me is taken, to which I say yes, I'm waiting for my father. This sounded more intimidating than my boyfriend. I only look 15-ish, so in his mind, he wouldn't be too intimidated by a 15-year-old girl's boyfriend, or friend, or whatever. He laughs, smirks, then says, sure, and goes back to his table. I quickly leave. Luckily, I boarded a packed bus, which he was not on, and cut through my college to avoid walking on the street in the dark. I hope I never see the security guard again. So creepy security guard who told me I could pass out in his office, let's not meet again. This happened about five years ago, so please be patient with me as I may not remember every detail or moment exactly correctly. That being said, this whole experience is burned pretty intensely into my mind, so I remember about 90% of it pretty well. I'm a 26-year-old man, making me about 21 when these events occurred. I live in southern Ohio, about 45 minutes away from Cincinnati. I went to a smaller college in the area, and I was pretty isolated from most of my friends and family during the week. 
My friends all went to their various choices of college throughout the Midwest, and my family remained in my hometown. I ended up at school alone because I had a rather specific major, and this was one of the few colleges in the country that would accommodate me. Luckily, my girlfriend went to a college fairly close to me, so I would often find myself making two to three trips a week to see her and study with her. On most weekends, I would go on road trips to visit my friends considering their campuses were a lot bigger and more fun than my small town college. During this particular weekend in question, I was getting ready to make my two-hour trip to see my friend Kyle at his school, the name of which I probably shouldn't disclose. I had made the same trip about 30 times before, so I knew the route pretty well at this point, and I didn't even have to use GPS to get there. I left on Friday afternoon once I was done with classes for the day, and I was set to arrive at Kyle's dorm around 8 o'clock p.m., right on time to go out for a night of binge drinking and eating garbage food. These are the joys of college. I set off about 5.50 and was roughly 15 minutes into my trip when my girlfriend called me. This is pretty unusual considering I had already told her I was driving to Kyle's, so I answered quickly thinking something must have been wrong. She was working that night and her car had broken down in her dorm room parking lot when she was leaving to go work her shift. She figured I wasn't too far on my trip and wanted to know if I could give her a quick ride to work before I got too far away. Me, being the dutiful boyfriend I was, agreed to come get her since I was only about 20 minutes from her location. I was already pretty far off campus, so I pulled my car over off the highway and used GPS to see if there was some faster route to her from where I was. The map on my phone revealed that there was an exit coming up that would take me to a side street that I could use to get to her fairly quickly. So I texted her and said that I was on my way and set off towards my new destination. I had seen the exit in question plenty of times, but I never had any reason to get off on it. So... Once I exited the highway, my surroundings were completely unfamiliar to me. The exit took me off onto a road that had dense woods on the right side of the highway and on the left. My phone informed me that my next turn wasn't for about five miles, so I had to go a ways until I had to do any navigating. About a half mile later, the road had turned where there were now trees on either side of me, and to be honest, it was a really beautiful sight. It was October, so the surrounding woods were a mixture of various warm colors, and I was actually enjoying my little detour. The entire area was wooded on either side, and only the occasional break in the tree line for a driveway and a mailbox to poke out. The houses were hard to see through the trees, but from the few glimpses I did manage to get, the houses were actually pretty nice. It was getting a little dark, and I had about a mile to go before I had to turn when I noticed a Toyota with the hood popped open further down the road. As I approached, I noticed a man in a shirt and tie with his head under the hood, seemingly with a broken-down car. There was no traffic to be seen behind me, so I stopped for a moment to ask him if everything was okay and if he needed to borrow my phone or anything. He didn't seem to hear me at first, so a little louder this time I said, Everything okay? This time he seemed to have heard me and lifted his head up away from the engine and looked up at me. He seemed like a completely normal guy, and he had a normal face to match. 
the best way I could describe him is just pedestrian looking. He had short brown hair, brown eyes, and a five o'clock shadow. He smiled at me and said he was on his way home from work and that something had gone wrong with his engine. I offered him my phone in case he wanted to call anyone to get picked up or get the car towed. He replied, oh no, that's okay. I have a car service that will come get my car for me. They're closed until tomorrow morning, though, so I hate to ask, but could you possibly give me a ride to my brother's house? He only lives like four minutes away from here. This absolutely should have been a red flag for me. I think I was a little stunned by how normal this guy seemed, considering most hitchhikers on TV are crazy or are axe murderers. Why couldn't he have just used my phone to call his brother? I guess I wasn't thinking clearly at the time, but hindsight is twenty twenty, and I'm well aware I made a bad decision that night. I was physically much bigger than him, and he was driving a nice car, so I figured he wasn't a weirdo or local crazy person, and I could overpower him if I needed to. So I agreed to give him a quick ride to his brother's house since it was on the way to my girlfriend's, who would later be livid with me for taking so much time to get her to work, but that's a story for a different time. I unlocked the door for him to get in, and he pointed me in the direction of his brother's house, and we set off on our way. Things were pretty normal for the next few minutes, and I was starting to feel like maybe I did the right thing. Then things started to get weird. The first thing that made me uncomfortable was the way he acted every time there was a swear word in the music I was listening to. He was almost flinching every time 50 Cent said fuck or bitch, and I picked up on it pretty quickly, so I changed the song thinking that he was just really against swearing or something. About a minute after I changed the song, there was no swearing in this one. He reached up and slammed his hand on the radio's power button and turned it off. It wasn't crazy hard or anything, but it was definitely enough to get me to notice. I tried to make light of the situation and said, Not your style? This question was met with complete silence. At this point, I was ready for this guy to get out of my car, so I asked, How much further do we have to go? I have to be somewhere soon, and I can't be late. He said, We had about four minutes to go, which immediately sent up a warning signal in my head, considering that he told me the same thing about eight minutes ago. I decided that was enough. I didn't think he was dangerous or anything, but I figured our destination was further than he was letting on, and he was lying so that I would take him despite the distance. It was getting late, and I wasn't trying to face my girlfriend's wrath, so I told him this was as far as I could go, and he'd have to walk the rest of the way. His mood changed immediately, but instead of getting angry, which I was completely expecting, he became panicky and was practically begging me to take him the rest of the way. His overreaction set off pretty much every alarm I had in my head, so I told him to remove himself from my car before I had to remove him myself. It was then that he pulled out his rather oversized wallet and offered to pay me to take him the rest of the way. He tried to pull out a stack of $20 bills, but as he removed them from his wallet, something else fell out onto the seat next to him. It was only a split second before he grabbed it and shoved it back into his pocket, but I got a good enough look, and it will haunt me to this day. Along with his money, 
a small Ziploc bag full of what I'm confident were adult teeth fell out of his wallet. Front teeth, molars, you name it. Everyone I've told this story to has been skeptical of this part, but I'm confident that is what I saw. I freaked out worse than I ever have and screamed at him to get out of my car, and he got out immediately and was looking at me with surprised eyes on the side of the road. I took off and called the police who simply told me not to pick up hitchhikers ever again, and that they couldn't do anything since the man didn't commit any crimes. I don't know where he was going or what he was doing, and I'm pretty sure I don't want to know. I do know, however, that he seemed to have all of his teeth still in his mouth. I don't know whose teeth those were or why he had them, but creepy teeth hitchhiker? Let's never meet again. My mom and brothers were going to visit some family in California for a few days during the summer. They packed up and left very early in the morning, around 5 a.m. Dad and I stayed behind since I had a new job and Dad couldn't take the time off of work either. We lived in a small three-bedroom apartment then. A few hours after my mom and brothers left, my dad had gone to work and I got up from bed and started choosing my outfit for work that day. I hopped in the shower as usual. As I was finishing rinsing off, I hear my small chihuahua bark her head off like I've never heard before. She's actually pretty calm and a lazy chihuahua, so my always paranoid self started listening and shut off the water. I heard some sort of scratching, and my dog was still barking like crazy and growling. I get out of the shower and grab my towel to dry off, but of course I didn't bring my clothes into the bathroom with me. All of a sudden, I hear the sliding door swing open and my dog is now barking, even crazier than before. I know now that someone has been trying to break in and had been successful now inside my apartment. The door to my bedroom is directly across from the bathroom. I'm helpless and naked in the bathroom with my phone in my room. So I listen in to someone walking around in the living room while I open the bathroom door and run across to my bedroom. While I open the door, I hear someone running and my dog is now beside my feet. I try to grab her to come in the room with me, but she runs away probably to bark some more at the intruder. I yell to get out of my house and that the police are on their way. They just laugh. I'm in my bedroom, locked in. My window has always been jammed, so I can't escape. I quickly call 911 and change while I'm explaining I'm locked in my bedroom and someone is in my apartment. I text my dad while I'm on the line. I'm still worried about my dog, and it's been quiet for a while, so I look under my door and see that there's no one there. I crack the door a bit, hoping they got scared and ran off. But no, my bedroom door can somewhat see into an area of the living room. The guy is just sitting on our couch, looking straight at me. He's in a hoodie, and the strings are pulled tight on the hood so you cannot see their face 
They get up, and my dog goes nuts and tries to bite him. When I see him get up, I get so scared, I I close my door again. I hear as if he kicks her, and she starts crying and runs over to my bedroom door. I can see her little paws under the door, but I'm scared to open it, with the possibility that he's right there. I'm crying now, so scared about my dog, but I know I cannot open the door. The operator is still on the phone with me and tells me a cop is now there and coming up to my apartment. The dude comes up to my door and knocks on it softly. Then a few seconds later, I hear my front door open and shut. A minute later, there are loud knocks at the front door and the operator tells me to go open the door. I refuse because I fear that they're still out there hiding, but the operator insists that they're probably gone by now. I run out to the front door, open it, and the cop is there. I explained what happened and he just looks at me like he's bored. He tells me they'll look around my complex and that I should lock my doors. He didn't even bother to search my apartment to make sure that they're still not in there. The cop leaves. I try to be brave and look through my apartment. When I get to my brother's room, the window is wide open and the curtains are moving. They had still been in there the whole time. This means that they were trying to lure me out when they opened and closed my front door, but the cop got there shortly after, and I'm sure that's why they escaped. I tell my dad everything when he gets home shortly after, and he's mad that law enforcement didn't do their job properly. By the way, that cop never came back. My dad installed a bunch of locks everywhere, and while he's there, I get ready to go to work. As I walk out my front door to go to my car, my neighbor upstairs is standing at the top of their stairs and stares at me, and I realize... It was him. He stares at me the whole time I'm walking and even smiles. He had the same hoodie. I texted my dad to tell him I knew who it was. I don't know what happened, but my dad is a very scary guy. About a week later, I see him and his girlfriend moving out. Also, my brave and tiny protector who warned me when someone was there, had a limp for a while. She got kicked hard, but she's now fine. I'm a biologist and frequently am by myself in remote locations. This occurred when I was 26 and somewhere between green and seasoned. I was surveying wetlands in a remote area of the Appalachians in an area dominated by thick pine forests. I always got on the county assessor's site and printed off a map with landowner information so I wouldn't trespass. That'll get you shot. At this particular site, there was a private driveway going through U.S., forest service land, which is public, that let me get to this area a little quicker. 
This driveway was absolutely public property. At no point did I trespass. I pulled onto this road, clearly created by the USFS, and pulled off to the side about 30 yards from this private entry gate. My vehicle was clearly marked state government vehicle. The forest is old-growth pine, but on the outer edges of the forest, it's thick with undergrowth, forming kind of a wall before you get under the pines in a nice open understory. I walked about 200 yards in when nature calls. I make like a bear in the woods and do my business. I'm a biologist, so no biggie. Midway through, I hear yelling back at my truck. I think, great, now I have to deal with this. I'm wrapping up my business, getting ready to walk back to the truck, and I hear gunshots. I stopped walking and thought, yeah, I'm not walking back to that. I was at a loss of what I should do exactly, and stood there for about a minute considering my options when I heard him breaking through the undergrowth on the edge of the forest. Shit, he's coming into the woods. Again, this is public property. I get a bad vibe. This is absolutely the type of area where people just straight up disappear, and they really do. It's very, very remote, and the communities are very close. This county has more than double the amount of game wardens of other counties for a very good reason. I take off in a crouching jog, using my senses of direction to make it out to the main road about 600 yards away. There are more gunshots, except these have a crack to them. That means they're coming in my direction. There's no way he sees me, but maybe he's hearing me. Maybe he's firing above my head. Adrenaline kicks in 100% now, and I'm moving with a mix of terror and urgency to get back to the main road. Eventually, when I do get back to the main road, I hide under a bridge. I call a colleague to give him the details of where I am so at least they can find my body. And then I call 911. This was the first time in my life I had ever called 911. The operator doesn't believe me, but eventually I get in touch with the deputy. He doesn't believe me either. They're probably just shooting tin cans, he says. Bullshit. It's Sunday night at 7pm and he's too lazy to get off his ass. I move further away into public hunting area and a game warden stops in. God bless him, it, he took me seriously, and a few locals come by and comment on how that landowner is an asshole. He was from Louisiana and not a local. I got along well with the locals that I had encountered, so that made more sense. After about an hour, the deputy gives me a ride back to my state vehicle. The son of a bitch is parked, on an ATV with a rifle laid across his lap waiting for me in the dark. The deputy and I get out of the car and walk straight to my truck and I leave. It's almost 9pm and I have a 4 hour drive to get home and I just had enough. 
At that time, I didn't want to talk to the guy at all, but now I wish I had. Who knows what conversation the deputy and him had. After this, I started carrying a firearm in the field with me at all times. I'm glad I trusted my gut feeling and insisted on a police escort back to my vehicle. That was not an encounter or conversation I wanted to have with someone that had an overly active trigger finger. I had all the guy's contact information from the county assessor's site and thought about mailing him a map clearly stating where his property begins and ends, but I just let it go. Maybe he thought I was the creep. So displaced Louisianan, let's not meet. A little backstory before we get into things. I grew up in upstate New York. It only made sense that I would return to my quiet little part of the world after I got out of the Marines in 2007. The only problem is that I didn't have much money. The good news is that my grandfather had an old pull-behind camper that he told me I could have until I got onto my feet. So being on my own, I decided I would spend about a year in the pull-behind on a few acres of woods that I had bought from a friend while I was in the Marines. Taxes had been paid for the year, so the only thing I had to do was pay for gas and propane. I managed to avoid looking like a crazy mountain man by showering and washing my clothes at the local truck stop slash diner, and even got a pretty decent job working security. I filled the rest of my time working odd jobs for extra cash. Alright, now on to the main story. It was mid-April and I was sitting next to a nice low fire while listening to my battery-powered radio and watching Nightfall in the Woods. I had gotten a nice dinner at the diner down the road and didn't have any work for the next few days. Generally, I didn't see anyone in the woods for weeks at a time, so I wasn't expecting it when I had heard a scream break the silence. I shot up and grabbed my shotgun out of the small camper and checked the chamber to make sure it wasn't loaded. I stood at the edge of the small clearing and strained my ears to listen for any new sounds. It's generally hard to pinpoint to a direction of a noise out in the middle of the woods at night. Luckily, I heard some shouting and car doors slamming, so I knew that the sounds had to be coming from the main vehicle trail a short distance from my campsite. I made my way to the trail as fast as I could in the low light, and before I could get halfway there, I heard another clipped scream to my left. I could hear a rustling in the brush, and I slowly made my way over there, to where I thought the noise was coming from. I came out of the woods right next to a man who had a woman pinned to the ground and another man leering, just standing behind him. Shaking with adrenaline, I leveled the shotgun at the guy on top of the woman and growled at him to get off. Now, I'm a big guy, but I have no doubt that the shotgun was the decisive factor in the whole situation. Each of these guys easily had a solid 30 pounds of muscle on me, and I was a 200-pound Marine. 
I ushered the two idiots back so I was between them and the woman who was now getting onto her feet. It was now that I realized we had another problem. My cell phone was cheap and didn't have reception in the woods, and hers had been broken by these two sickos. There wasn't much I could do other than march these two back to their shitty lifted jeep under threat of shotgun. I got their license plate number, names, which I'm sure were fake, and a description of them and their vehicle. Before the driver got into the vehicle, I lowered the shotgun to his crotch and made sure he understood what a 3-inch 12-gauge shell loaded with buckshot can do to a man's genitals. They took off in one direction, and me and the woman made our way back to my campsite. We drove to the DEC station as soon as possible and reported the entire incident. It turns out the guy I hadn't threatened was the young woman's now ex-boyfriend. They had all been out having a few drinks when the third wheel in the situation got a little too handsy for her liking. When she said something to her boyfriend, he basically told her to stop being so stuck up and to put out for once. When she refused, the boyfriend took her phone and smashed it on the ground. They both pushed her into the truck and drove her deeper into the woods. She had waited for them to become complacent before throwing her back door open and jumping out of the jeep and taking off. Luckily, the jeep was a pile of shit and the back door didn't lock. It was also a stroke of luck that I happened to be outside when she managed to escape. Now fast forward about seven months and that woman I had helped became my wife and we moved into our first house using the money I had saved living in the woods. We've been married eight years and now have two kids, a six-year-old boy and a four-year-old girl. I still go out to the camp every year to hunt and I haven't seen the jeep or potential rapists again. We heard through the grapevine that they had been arrested, but somehow got off without any actual jail time. I'm assuming they either moved into the city or further away because we haven't seen them again. So the two potential rapists in the Jeep? I know who you are, and for your sake, let's not meet again. This happened about four years ago. I had just started working at a university hospital in the U.S. as a nursing care tech. At the time, I was planning on going to nursing school. I've since changed my major and graduated, though then I thought working in a hospital would be a great starting place for some experience and would get me a better chance at getting into a nursing school at the university. Anyways, I was always a very outgoing and friendly person. I still am, and I'm also not a stranger to anyone. I had no issues making new friends at my new job. I worked the day shift, 7 a.m. to 7.30 p.m., three days a week. Our shifts always overlapped with the night shift in order to give a full report to them about the patients that they would be caring for that evening. Sometimes, I would have to give a report to a night shift employee 
by the name of Mark. Mark was always funny and outgoing, and we seemed to hit it off pretty well. I was dating someone at the time, and Mark was married, but I always just felt like he was a cool friend to hang out with. We had previously discussed stories about going to bars. One night when I was getting off of work, I had mentioned I was planning on going out to a bar the next night with a group of friends and invited him along. He was more than happy to join us. In fact, the entire time we were out there, he had a great time and he hit it off with everyone there despite not knowing anyone in my group of friends. He never hit on me or gave me an indication that he was attracted to me. I just saw him as a friend and it always had felt that way, and I felt the feeling was mutual with him. I arrived home around 2 a.m. and woke up maybe around 9 or 10 a.m. I checked my phone to find an unreasonable amount of text messages from an unknown number. This was several years ago, and I no longer have the messages, but it was something along the lines of this. I know you went out with my husband last night. I know you have a boyfriend but you must be attracted to my husband. Otherwise, why else would you invite him out to a bar without my presence and without your boyfriend? I know my husband is attractive and I don't always appreciate him going out with other women. Blah, blah, blah. I don't remember the next four paragraphs she sent me, but that one stuck out. And that was when she asked, so are you a team player? I kindly informed her that I do have a trusting boyfriend who did not mind if I went out with male friends, and I was in no way attracted to her husband. He was not attractive whatsoever, but I didn't say that. I also told her that while I understand and respect that they have an open relationship, I am not interested in experimenting with other couples, and I prefer my relationships to be monogamous. She was completely understanding and even offered to meet up for drinks with her and her husband in the future. Now, I don't care if my new friend is a swinger. Not my personal lifestyle, but hey, I don't judge. I was willing to forget the whole ordeal and look past it. Now, that was a big mistake. Mark and I made plans to go on a double date with my boyfriend and his wife, Helen, at a dance club. All was well, and we all had a lot of fun bar hopping and dancing. She seemed cool enough and I learned she was a schoolteacher in the neighboring town. By the end of the evening, we all had our friendly goodbyes and retreated home. Again, the next morning, I woke up to a whole new set of a million text messages sent from his wife, this time not so friendly. She was upset and went off on me, claiming I was a homewrecker and that I had destroyed their marriage. She claimed I had grabbed his hand on the way to the dance floor and put his hand on my ass, which never happened. Then claimed I grabbed his ass, which never happened either. Then changed her story a third time and claimed I grabbed his ass, which again never happened either. I kindly explained to her that none of these events ever occurred. She said I obviously don't remember any of it because I was too drunk to remember, and she said my boyfriend had to carry me out of the bar. Now, I only had two drinks over the three hours we were out. I was never drunk, nor blackout, as she had put it, and I left the bar walking with my own boyfriend at the time and had myself a good night's sleep that night. Either way, she wasn't having my side of the story. 
I decided to let it go and stop trying to convince her otherwise, and I was planning on having a talk with Mark regarding the misconstrued issue. The next day, she posted on Facebook about how her marriage was wrecked because of me. She used my name in her Facebook status, and she said she was going to show up at my house and settle it. She also said she never slept and hadn't slept in days and it was my fault, and she placed the blame for her failing marriage on me. The words she used describing how she was going to settle it were not so kind and mature. She had no idea where I lived, so I wasn't too worried about it. She told everyone, and left me a wonderful voicemail, about how she planned on pressing charges against me for molesting her husband that night. A few hours later, she left me another voicemail, sobbing and apologizing to me, telling me how horrible Mark was, and how he's a jerk and really mean to her, and told me she was sorry he ever got in the way of our friendship, and she would never allow him to interfere with our friendship ever again. I hardly knew her. I I had only met her once in person. I promptly deleted her and blocked her on Facebook, and my boyfriend did as well. I never returned her calls, nor did I worry about having charges pressed, because that never happened, and her husband had agreed with me prior. Although I had stopped responding and ceased contact with her, the phone calls continued. She would call me at all hours of the day anywhere from 6 a.m. to midnight, but I never answered. I had no issue leaving my phone on silent, so I just ignored them, thinking she would give up. She lightened up after a few days. The next time I was at work, I decided to pull him aside into a storage room to have a talk with him privately because I didn't want coworkers to hear or get involved. I didn't think it was a big issue. I told him the issue I was having with his wife, and he apologized about it and told me he would have a talk with her. He told me he would get her to stop. That's great. Until he dropped a bombshell that would make all of this make a tad more sense, but it still didn't excuse her behavior. Nearing the end of the conversation, he bluntly told me, Look, I'm sorry about everything that has happened with her, but I have to be honest with you. I want to fuck you. I told my wife I wanted to fuck you. She had an affair a few years ago, and recently I've just wanted someone strange. She wasn't okay with it at first, but she said if it were a threesome, she would be willing to settle with that. Initially, she was alright with it, but as time passed since I told her that, she got upset about it. So sorry she's been crazy. I was a little stunned, but it made everything come together a bit about why she was so upset. I told him I wasn't interested in him, and I also told him I didn't want to go out with him alone anymore and I didn't want any more double dates, and that was that. Fast forward a week or so, and everything had calmed down. I thought it was over, and I was beginning to forget about the whole ordeal. One night, I was in bed about to go to sleep, until I got a text message from a number that I didn't know. All it said was, What's up? with a smiling face. I asked who it was, and whoever it was completely avoided the question. The text message continued. I miss you. Where are you living now? Can I come by? Hey girl, I want to hang out tonight. We haven't seen each other in forever and it's been too long. Let me come over tonight and have a drink and catch up. I'm on Winchester Road coming into town and I heard you live around here. Where are you? I can stop by on my way into town. Hey girl, I miss you and I love you. 
When are we going to see each other? I stopped answering because he or she would never tell me who they were. The texting was constant, and the calls were even worse. The calls would come in at 2 a.m. every 10 to 15 minutes or so, and they wouldn't stop until about 8 a.m., and this went on for three to four days. Around this same time, my boyfriend got a friend request from someone with no mutual friends, and she had messaged him privately over Facebook along with this request. She explained she was a new nursing student coming into the university we went to, and she was on Facebook to make new friends before she moved here from Indiana. She was researching students at our university in order to make friends before she arrived. He thought it was innocent enough. My boyfriend was Middle Eastern and did not have a common first or last name whatsoever. He also had nothing to do with the College of Nursing at the university. He added her and they had casual conversations over Facebook about similar interests and hobbies, sports, and fun places to go around town. All was fine and well until she started asking him inappropriate questions. What's your girlfriend like? Do you think I'm pretty? I think I'm prettier than her. I don't remember what else she sent him, but they eventually turned into sexual advances. My boyfriend wasn't comfortable with it at all and considered blocking her. He let me read it because he wasn't sure what to do. I read through all the messages, and the first thing that came out of my mouth was, That's Helen. He didn't believe me at first, but the way she described herself and her interests were exactly like her. Once I explained all of this to him, he was convinced. She had made a fake profile with fake friends, which she had made in order to look real, and then used Facebook pictures of one of her relatives. He confronted her about it, and she completely lost it. She started cursing at him, threatening him, telling him how she has no idea who it is that he's talking about, and went on a long rant about how her husband beats her, and she's pregnant, I guess for sympathy. Helen was never pregnant, and Mark never beat her as far as I could tell. He told her he was sorry she was in that position, and he eventually gave up and blocked her. Somehow she managed to get his Gmail and university email, and once she found that, the emails started. And keep in mind, I was getting constant phone calls at the same time throughout the nights when this was happening. I mean, I was getting something like 200 plus missed calls when I woke up the next morning. Initially, the emails were threatening, then later moved to emails looking for sympathy for made-up pregnancy and her abusive husband, and all the horrible things that he did to her. Then finally moved on to a confession about how she really was Helen, and she was sorry. He never responded to any of them, and because he never sent her a response to her apology email, along came once again another angry, threatening email. He didn't respond to that one either. At this point, I had had enough, and I was worn out from the entire thing. It became exhausting and I was so tired of dealing with it. A good friend of mine is a police officer in our city, and I called him and told him everything that was happening and how bad it was escalating. I showed him all of the emails, texts, messages, and phone calls. The first thing he did was call the number who had been harassing me to have them stop. She admitted it was her, Helen, and agreed to stop contact with me, but told my friend, Officer Walton, that she will be pressing charges against me for molestation. 
He explained to her that that wasn't possible. She was displeased, but I think having an officer call her to cease contact with myself and my boyfriend was enough to make her stop. I've never heard from her since. Months went by, and everything finally went back to normal. I had transferred to a different department within the hospital, so I would not have to work with Mark anymore. I never told anyone at work about it, but I did not wish to have any more contact with him. But I was still on the same floor despite being in a different unit. I passed through his hall one night leaving for work. I had to do so in order to get home. He was off work that night, but I stopped in at the nurse's station to say hi and bye to some of the nurses I used to work with. There was a large note hanging in the nurse's station with an extension to security. I laughed about it and asked what in the world would have happened to need their extension in such large letters. Nadia told me that apparently Mark had left his wife while she was at work. He packed up all of his belongings and moved to an apartment in town without any notice to her, and he was planning on divorcing her. This did not settle well with Helen. For a few days, she came up to the unit he was working on, looking for him in order to confront him about it. She only showed up his off days for a few days until finally she found him. She never told any of the staff who she was. She just kept coming around asking for him. They would just tell her he was off, and she would leave. After about 9 or 10 p.m., all visitors have to check in with security with the state-issue ID in order to enter the hospital. Helen found an old pair of scrubs that belonged to Mark. When she came up to the entrance, she told the security that she had left her badge at home, and she wasn't able to access the building because of it. Surprisingly, they let her in. She went up to the unit he was working at, and she began screaming, crying, and begging him to come home. One of the nurses called security because she was making a huge scene. When security arrived to escort her out, she threatened suicide if he didn't come home. She ended up being admitted to a mental facility a few miles down the road. The staff had left a note up in case she showed up looking for him again. Several months later, he divorced her, graduated from nursing school, and moved back to Indiana once he found a nursing job from his hometown. I never heard from Mark or Helen again. Fast forward a year. I went out with my officer friend Walton just to hang out and catch up, as we hadn't seen each other in a while. He mentions out of the blue, you will never, ever guess who left me a voicemail just a few days ago. Helen. I was dumbfounded. What the hell did she want? She still had the number for over a year? He had only called her once, but I guess she kept it for over a year and a half. He let me listen to the voicemails. She told him she was trying to divorce Mark because he was abusive, and she needed to serve him a restraining order. She told him I was helping her out with it. Fuck no, I was not. She said the courts had told her she needed to find an officer on her own in order to do so. My friend, Officer Walton, never called her back. He laughed and said it was highly unlikely she had a restraining order because once one is in place, the county finds their own employees to take care of the matter. They don't leave it to the victims to ask around to find an officer to take care of it for them. Regardless, he never called her back and we never heard from her again. So Helen, please for the love of humanity, let's not meet. I don't want to deal with your shit again.
Thanks everyone for listening to this week's Lost Stories. If you're a patron, stick around after the music for your extended ad-free version of this week's episode with some brand new stories. And if you'd like to get access, head over to patreon.com forward slash let's not meet podcast to sign up and support the show today. You'll get access to all kinds of bonus content instantly. This week you have heard Just Sit at the Tables or Pass Out in My Office by Miko. I Will Never Pick Up a Hitchhiker Again by Snakes Are Too Cool. Dog Warns Me While I'm in the Shower by Pug Sammy. Shot at in the Appalachians by Anonymous. How I Met My Wife by Mosh Pit Machine. And finally, The Time I Was Stopped for Six Months by A Duncan 222. All of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast is not associated with Reddit or any of the message boards online. Make sure you send your stories in to letsnotmeetstories at gmail.com if you'd like to hear them on the show. Finally, don't forget to check out the new episodes of my other podcasts, Odd Trails, my true paranormal podcast, Welcome to Paradise It Sucks, and the old-time radio cast at crypticcountypodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. See you all next week. Everyone, stay safe. Two years ago, my group of friends and I.